Welcome to the King's Church Podcast. We are an ACC church based on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. We'd love for you to join us on any given Sunday. In the meantime, we hope this message blesses you. Thank you, Pastor Noah. Good morning, everybody. Please take a seat. It's wonderful to be with you again this morning at the mighty King's Church. How about we thank our worship team for doing such a brilliant job. Fantastic, guys. Absolutely brilliant. Love it. Every time I come, it just keeps getting better and better and better. You might say, what kind of chairman? I've never seen him before. What is it with this bloke? So I just realized I've left my glasses on the front row. Um, our, um, our constitution has uh, one in independent director, it's called, um, who brings like an external perspective. That's me. So that's why you don't see me a lot, but uh, when I'm here, it's so good. But um, been a delight, I think it's about four years I've been in that role, and each year it just gets better and better at King's Church. Shirley Sykes is a legend, an absolute legend. I don't get to see you as much, Shirley, but I get to see the, the report every month and every month, just what God is doing and the, the blessing you are to this community, to this church, but the community, and uh, what's happening through the care program, but right through the church. It's so good. Noah, Michelle, good to see you too, and uh, wonderful, wonderful. Who's radical? Who loves doing radical things? Who loves jumping off cliffs? Where are you? You're probably not here, because, <laughs> yeah, bad things happen, maybe. Um, I don't know. I love watching radical yeah, that's about as good as close as I get to radical. You know, those uh, there were some YouTubes going around about these guys, and they wear these sort of like bat-looking suits, and they jump off high mountains, and they sort of like fly through ravines, and like crazy stuff. Like people call bear, like bear grills. You know, man versus wild, radical. Sadly, I am the opposite. I'm not radical. I drive an SUV. I have no tattoos, and nobody's ever thought of calling me Bear Averill. Never. Which is really interesting, because I think I follow the most radical person who's ever walked the planet, Jesus Christ. It may not have been the radical activities, but it was his radical life and his radical teaching that changed the world. Here's just an example out of Matthew 5, 43 to 45. This is the words of Jesus. He said, You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, if you've heard those words a few times, you could start to get a little bit used to them. In their day, they were totally radical. Nobody ever thought of loving your enemy. I mean, it's almost the definition of your enemy. They're the people you hate. And frankly, you know, it's not that different. Let's put it into perspective. It's grand final time looming. Who's got a favorite AFL team, a favorite rugby league team, a favorite rugby union team, some favorite sports team? Anybody? All right. Well, if you've got a favorite team, you've probably got another team. I mean, every team. Every week, the team you play is the enemy. But there's probably one that's really, really the enemy. Okay, so this is like saying, 
okay, just don't love your team. Love that team that is your enemy, that team that you just, they're the last ones you want to beat your team. I mean, you know, like any rugby union supporters, anybody support the Wallabies? Yeah, so it's like saying, love the All Blacks. Right. The Kiwis in the room are excited. Okay, let me talk to the Kiwis in the room, Brendan, and say it's like saying, Kiwis, love the Wallabies. Now it's getting hard. Now it's getting hard. Hey, you know, this stuff, it's not easy. This, not, this is not easy. This is not, in a, in a one way, it's, you could say this is not human nature. And yet it's the radical teachings of Jesus. Sometimes we use this phrase, we say it's, it's operating in an opposite spirit. In other words, it's acting the very opposite way to the way that somebody is wrongly acting towards us. World War II. I'm not expecting many of you in this crowd would remember World War II. But 1935 to 1945, during World War II, there was a man by the name, uh, a Catholic priest, Father Hugh O'Flaherty, and he lived and worked in the Vatican in Rome. Now, the Vatican, or the Holy See as it's called, that, that's a sovereign state. But, uh, during the war, the, uh, the Nazis increasingly controlled that whole area of Italy and Rome, and the Gestapo, the SS, they were like the police running things, except in the Vatican itself. And that was considered sovereign territory. And the, uh, the head of the SAS there was a man named Colonel um, Herbert Kapler. And very nasty and cruel man. But in the Vatican was Father Hugh O'Flaherty. And Hugh O'Flaherty developed a, a line, a, a rescue line, an escape line for Jews and for allied servicemen who, who otherwise would have been caught and many of them may, would have been imprisoned and perhaps many of them would have lost their lives. He ended up saving the lives of over 6,000 Jews and allied people. Well, the Gestapo sort of knew what was going on, but they just they couldn't stop him. They couldn't catch him. And he, he became the master of disguise. He'd get out of the Vatican, help these people out, and they were infuriated, and particularly Colonel Kepler. He was infuriated by this Father O'Flaherty. They had, they tried, they had assassination attempts. They didn't work. They tried everything they could to catch him. In the end, Father O'Flaherty, uh, sorry, Colonel Cap was so incensed, he literally painted a white line across St. Peter's Square that, that was a separation line between the Vatican and Rome. And he said to Father O'Flaherty, if you just step one step over this line, you will be killed. We'll take you, we'll torture you, we'll kill you. It's all over. Threatened him. The war ended, Father O'Flaherty survived, but uh, Colonel Kepler was tried because of her, uh, the atrocities he'd committed, and many people lost his lives because of him, and he was sentenced to life imprisonment for the rest of his life. He only had one person visit him in jail, Father O'Flaherty. Every month, Father O'Flaherty went and visited him and ministered the love of Christ to him. It took 15 years but in 1959, Colonel Kepler gave his life to Christ. That is acting in the opposite spirit. That's what Jesus has called his people, his followers to do. It's radical. It is truly radical. Jesus was talking to his disciples one time about the end times. And he said this, it's recorded in Matthew 24, verse 10. He said, and then 
Many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. You know, sadly, it seems that he's actually talking here about the people who would think they're part of his church. Offended. Uh, I don't know, maybe there's a, uh, a dramatic increase of people offending, doing the wrong thing towards others. But there certainly seems to me to be a, a radical increase in the number of people being offended. I don't know, maybe it's social media, because social media sort of gives everyone a megaphone. Uh, maybe it's social media, and sadly it seems Christians as well. Offense. That doesn't seem to be the radical life that Jesus was talking about to me. Because, you know, you can actually choose to live unoffended. I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying that we should just simply let people knock us down. Choosing not to take offense is not just simply about ignoring wrongs. In a very well-known, powerful passage, Micah 6.8, 6, it says, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? Do justice. It, love kindness. There, there is in Scripture, as you read throughout Scripture, you'll see this, this balance. Do justice, love kindness. If you like, there's the outer action but there's the inner attitude. Because while it may well be right at times to do justice, to seek justice, to go to authorities about something, I think what Jesus is talking about is not allowing the offense to come into your spirit and to get inside of you. This is the piece that we need to worry about and watch out about. If you want to see that further in the New Testament, you'll see it in Romans. In Romans at the end of Romans chapter 12 and the beginning of 13, and you know, uh, in the original, uh, there were no chapter divisions, and that needs to be read as one piece. Sadly, it seems to be separated often, but if you read that through, and we haven't got time to go through that in great depth, but you'll see that the Apostle Paul here is talking about revenge. He says, it's not your place to take revenge. Revenge needs to be left in the hands of God. And then at the beginning of our chapter 13, it starts talking about how there can be governments and human agencies and that, that do God's work. And so I, I believe Paul is saying there, there is a place to take the offense. There is justice. There's a place and time for justice. But it's what you're doing in, in here, what's going on in here that matters. It's okay to seek to do justice. It's not okay to let the offense in. When we do that, you know, when, when, we, when we allow ourselves to be offended, there are there are a number of things, or a lot of things, I think, actually, that go wrong. But let me just point out a few of them. But one of them is we're actually allowing our lives now to be controlled by others. And that's never God's plan. Our life is meant to be under His Lordship. We're meant to be led by the Holy Spirit, not controlled by the offense of somebody else. Sometimes when, uh, when there's an offense, we are, the way we handle it, some people handle it, handle it passively. So, you know, they're, 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 they're seething with the offense, but they don't let it out. They sort of hold it in. Other people uh, act vindictively. In other words, they, they go after it the, with revenge and I'm going to get you. And, and sometimes we make a, there's a combination of those. And I think this is the most common one amongst Christians because we know we're not meant to. 
do either of those. So what we do is we, we're passive until we can't take it anymore and then we explode. None of that is the Jesus way. Letting others control us. When we uh, are offended, you know, what can we, we often do? I think nearly always. We actually start to play the offense over and over in our mind. We rehearse it. We go over what that person did and what that person said. And, and when we do that, we're setting up patterns in the mind that actually have an impact on our minds. They end up having an impact in our, whole, in our hearts and our souls and, and often end up having an impact in our bodies. It's damaging. When we're being offended, it obscures our vision of others. We don't see them the way God sees them. We see them the way we judge them. And you know, our judgments are nearly always wrong. When we're easily offended, perhaps it's the worst thing of all, we, we stop representing Jesus to a world that so much needs a Savior. You know, the answer, the ultimate answer to this challenge is the life of Jesus and particularly the cross. Calvary. Think about it. Jesus, he's going to Calvary. He's just been betrayed by his disciples. Now he's mocked by soldiers, crown of thorns pressed on him, flogged wrongly, tried unjustly. It's a mock trial. He's, you've got the religious leaders who should be the ones defending him, should be the ones knowing who he is, and they're the ones crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And he's led to the cross, and he hangs there on the cross. And as he hangs there, he prays an amazing, unbelievable prayer. He looks at those around about him, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And I don't think he, he literally meant they don't know what they're doing. They don't know that they're even talking. They don't know that they're actually flogging me. He, he meant they, they don't know the significance of this. They don't realize the impact. They don't really know what's going on. I think when people offend us often, or, or you know, they, sorry, they do something offensive towards us, they often don't know what they're doing. Sometimes they don't realize that just that word so, was so painful and so hurtful. And they sometimes even think they're doing God's business. Well, they're doing the right thing, and yet it's so painful. Jesus said that his followers were to take up our cross and follow him. And part of taking up our cross is to be like him and say the same prayer in our spirit and our heart. Father, forgive them. If they don't know what they're doing, Jesus said that if we forgive others, we will be forgiven. The extent to which we judge, we will be judged. I don't want to be judged by Almighty God like that. <laughs> There's one place on the Gold Coast this morning where there is nobody who has an offended spirit. Nobody is carrying offense this morning in this place. It's fantastic. Southport Cemetery. Nobody. Dead people aren't offended. They're dead to the offense. And it's like Jesus is saying, we're to be like that. Take up your cross and follow me. There's so many blessings in living an unoffended life. First of all, and, and we haven't got time for the world, but here's just a few. 
when we live an undefended life, I believe we are living fully free, emotionally free, not controlled by somebody else, not carrying the baggage of offense, but we can live free, emotionally free, letting things go. You know, carrying offense, it just it takes so much energy. It's sapping, energy sapping, keeping score, instead letting go. I was tempted to call this, service, this message, Living Unoffended, subtitled, The Secret to a Longer, Happier Life. Then I thought that should be the subtitle of every sermon. Um, but I do actually wonder whether actually if we live this way, and people who do live this way, there's a freedom, there's a lightness, there's a happiness in doing this. When we choose to live unoffended, it frees us to love others, even though they may not love us but frees us and opens up and sometimes opens the door in extraordinary ways to loving others, opening the door to powerful, even surprising relationships, just like Father O'Flaherty. I uh, work as the executive director for Alpha Australia. Uh, you may have heard of it, but this uh, wonderful opportunity we have of letting people explore faith through just having a meal and then watching a video and then having a, having a chat, having a conversation. I know, know it's been happening here at King's and it's wonderful to see in the campuses. Uh, some of my friends are running it in, the, in a youth detention center in Brisbane. And, uh, you know, they, they said on first week, because in Alpha we say there's no such thing as a, as a bad question. Everything's open. Everything's on the you. Any question you want to ask, I say in this... Youth Detention Centre, when they say that, young people think, okay, well, here we come. And they come on with the toughest, hardest questions, sometimes pouring out their own pain. And they say, you know what, when we allow them to do that and when we receive those genuine questions in a spirit of love, they're just testing us. They want to see are we real. Is the offer real? Is this really a safe place? Do you really love us? Next week, it all changes, and now they're open. And thirdly, and perhaps most powerfully, I believe when we live this, these unoffended lives, we are expressing the nature of Heavenly Father to the world around about us. Remember that passage we read earlier from Jesus, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. The word children there, there's a number of words for children in the Greek language. The word there is huios. It refers to the mature one who's learnt the, the trade. The apprentice has come through now, <coughs> excuse me, can do the business of the father, represent the family well. And when we live these unoffended lives, the world around about us can see the nature of God in us. That nature of God, the father, who is, opens his arms in love to others. Yeah, a joyful life is attractive to others. The power to live an unoffended life, you know, it's, it's beyond us, beyond me. I don't know if it's beyond you, no, certainly beyond me. Do justice, love kindness, here's the key, walk humbly with your God. It's being filled with the presence of Jesus. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's living each day, God, I need you. When things happen to me today when perhaps there's things offensive said or something happens lord i need you in my life i want to die to myself and live unto you the unoffendable life 
I think this is the church Jesus had in mind. I think this is even the church on social media that Jesus had in mind. I'm not just talking about kings. I'm talking about the church. A church that lived like this would change the world. It changed the world 2,000 years ago. It was the followers of Jesus back then who took his words literally and started to do that that turned it from a handful of followers to a group that eventually changed the known world then and has still changed the world today. My, I, I, my wife and I, we attend a church in Brisbane called Hope Centre when I'm not preaching somewhere else. And, and uh, it used to be called Glad Tidings Tabernacle. It's in Bowen Hills, the main campus now. It used to be Glad Tidings Tabernacle in Fortitude Valley. And this is how it started. You've heard of the Salvation Army, I, I, I guess. And the, the founders of the Salvation Army were William and Catherine Booth. They had a grandson. He was also William Booth, and he was a great preacher too, and he was man filled with the Holy Spirit. And he came to Brisbane in 1931, and uh, on Barry Parade in Fortitude Valley, set up a big tent and started to hold meetings. And, and they reckon that about a tenth of Brisbane's population went to those meetings. And a lot of people's lives were impacted in that time. And so those people said, well, we, we, we need to start a church. When he, when he the, the meeting's finished and he left, it, they bought land on, on Barry Parade and they, uh, they built a building. And uh, one of the young men really impacted in that tent crusade was an man by the name of George Blair. And George was a violin player. And so he volunteered to play the violin in the, in the church band. And he did that right through the 1930s. And then he did that through the 1940s. And then he's still playing the violin in the band in the 1950s. And my father became the senior pastor of the church in 1956. And George is still playing the violin on the platform. And I'm born in 1957. And there's George on the platform. I don't remember it in 1957, but I'm told he was still there. And uh, then in the 1960s, he's still playing the violin. And we left Brisbane and we went to New Zealand in 1965. And, and uh, George was still playing the violin when we left. Then in 1976, I asked my dad to come back to the church to pastor it again. And guess what? George is still playing the violin on the platform. And I joined the church a couple of years later, came back from New Zealand, and, and uh, I was asked to be the head of the, like, the leader of the band. And uh, I'm, I'm only 20, 21. And which the problem was, George's hearing wasn't what it used to be. And uh, in fact, it had got so bad, you know, his violin playing, he wasn't playing in tune much anymore. Sometimes he didn't even hear which song we were playing at being announced, and he would play the wrong song. And, you know, violin, that made it really hard. So I was doing all I could, you know, I, I moved him around the platform. And his grandson was, was one of our electric guitarists, so I, at one stage I moved him in front of the electric guitar, um, speakers and you could still hear him. Uh, uh, there was no, there was no answer. So I went to my father and the elders of the church, and I said, and his, everyone just by then, he's this lovely old man, and everyone calls him Brother Blair, and his wife Marion was Sister Blair. And I said, will one of you please talk to Brother Blair and ask him if he would give up playing the violin because he's just is now he's deaf and he he's not playing in tune. They wouldn't do it. None of them. They all respected him too much. I said, no, we're not doing that. So I thought, well, okay, I have to do something. One Saturday, I bought a bunch of flowers, and I went around to their house, a little 
wooden house I lived in since the 1930s in Stafford. Knocked on the door and they let me in, gave them the flowers, took me to the kitchen. We sat around this little kitchen table and Sister Blair made a cup of tea and uh, as had a chat. And then I said, Brother Blair, you know, your hearing's not what it used to be. And so your violin playing, it's not always in tune like it used to be and not always playing the right song. And, and he said, right, I'll never play the violin again. And I sort of sucked in air. Oh, what have I done? Then he said, can my wife and I pray for you? And they started to pray, and they prayed a beautiful prayer. And the next, he never did play the violin on the stage again, but the next Sunday, and every Sunday after that, when I walked down the aisle, he always sat right on the side of the aisle, halfway down, and he'd stand up, and he'd grab my hand and shake my hand, and he'd say, you're doing such a good job. It's fantastic. And, and then his, his wife would be there. I can still remember her face. She would just be grinning and beaming with these beady eyes and nodding as he's saying it every Sunday. Living an unoffended life. That's the church Jesus had in mind. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. As we come to a moment of prayer, just first of all, give a few moments. This isn't something trivial or easy. But is there something you need to deal with now? Some way in which you've allowed offense to come into your life. A face that's coming before you right now, and you're just need to come before God, forgive, let it go. Let something out of your spirit. Receive the freedom, the freedom that comes when we let go. Heavenly Father, thank you for this congregation of people gathered in your name this morning. Lord, let us here and across this nation, across the planet, let your church be the church you had in mind. A radical, radical church following your teachings. Loving, not just our friends, our neighbors, but loving our enemies. Doing good, even to those who would persecute us. Representing you the way you hung on the cross there and looked around you and said, forgive them, Father. Let this church of kings represent you so well on the Gold Coast, a place so full of people needing a Savior, but not necessarily knowing that there's a place of love and unconditional acceptance but let them find it. I pray, Lord, that over the years ahead, hundreds, thousands of people will walk in these doors and they're going to find a place, an extraordinary place of your presence and a people who live unoffended, doing justice, loving mercy, 
and walking humbly with their God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for new messages weekly. You can keep updated on what's happening in the life of King's Church by following us on social media at King's Church GC. Be blessed.